I'm Derek Walker, the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. Today we want to look at what really happened on the day of Pentecost. And in a way, this message is a climax to this series um, because this is when what we've been talking about actually came to fruition on, on that amazing day of Pentecost. And we're going to see how, how that all fits together and, and what God did on that occasion. But first, let's have a quick look at the events that led up to that. Uh, we saw that Jesus had a twofold experience of the Spirit. He was born uh, with the Spirit within him, and uh, he lived a perfectly holy life. And then when he was baptized, he was also baptized in the Spirit and received the Spirit upon him, which empowered him for ministry. Uh, and we saw the same twofold effect with uh, the disciples. In fact, Jesus had prepared them in his teaching. In John 4, he talked about that the Spirit, they would receive the Spirit within them in the new covenant that would be like a fountain or a spring welling up to everlasting life. But he also told them that they would receive the Spirit upon them and, th and that this, the power of the Spirit upon them would flow forth from them as rivers of living water. And that's talking about power for ministry. Um, and then we saw that the, the, they had a twofold experience themselves after Christ was raised from the dead. In fact, on the very evening of the resurrection, in John 20, it says, He breathed upon them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And that's when they received the Spirit within them. That's when they were born again. And then He started preparing them to receive the Spirit upon them, which would happen 50 days later on the day of Pentecost. Uh, and at the start of the, these, the days leading after his resurrection, he started preparing them, as I said, to receive this Pentecostal power. Uh, and he started giving them the Great Commission. And, uh, and he was saying, but you need power to fulfill the Great Commission. In Luke 24, he says that repentance and remission of sins must be preached uh, in his name to all nations. And you are my witnesses. In other words, this is your job, to be my witness. But, and, but you need my power. Behold, I send you the promise of my spirit, a promise of the Father upon you. Uh, but wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high. So this is the power of God coming upon them, empowering them to be witnesses. And at the end of the 40 days, he essentially says the same thing. In Acts 1, he says, wait. Wait for the promise of the Father. I've got a mission for you, but first you must receive my power. He says, the promise of the Father which you've heard from me, I've, he's been talking about it for the last 40 days, for John truly baptized with water, but now you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. And so the Spirit coming upon is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That's what they received on the day of Pentecost, was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then he describes what, what it's all about. In verse 8, you will receive power uh, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's the baptism of the Spirit. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so now we come to the great day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And we read that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house, which is actually the temple there where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. And one sat upon, 
each of them. This is the Spirit coming upon them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And, and first, it's worth pointing out that in Acts 11, in case there was any doubt about the matter, it confirms that what they received on the day of Pentecost was the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the second part of the promise of the Father. Because when Peter reports back, when the, because in Acts 10, the Gentiles received the same thing. And Peter then explains this experience. He says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Spirit upon, as upon us at the beginning. So P Peter said, we, that's when we received the Spirit upon us at the beginning. That's the beginning of the church, that which is at Pentecost. Then I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he's saying that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is what they received at Pentecost. And it involves the Spirit of God coming upon them. And so they re the Gentiles have received the same gift as the Jews. And so Acts chapter 2 gives us the, the prototype experience of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting that it gives a twofold, experience, a twofold description of this experience. Verse 4 describes the inner experience and verse 3 describes the outward appearance of the Spirit upon so, for instance, in, if we look at verse 4, first of all, we see that um, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so, in part of the experience, as they experienced it from the inside, was that the Spirit filled them from within. Because remember, they had already had the Spirit within them. So, the Spirit filled them from within uh, and takes control in other words, of their soul and their body, and in particular their tongue. And so it requires our surrender to receive this experience, to receive the power of God to fill us. And so God can only possess us according to our surrender. He won't take what isn't surrendered to him. And so at this time, um, they, they received that inner experience, but it was also described as... The, as the Spirit being upon them. And on this occasion, the Spirit upon them manifested as, as tongues of fire. And although we don't always see that, that's what was happening in the Spirit. And the Spirit upon them is manifested as fire upon them. What did that signify? And, and for this, we need to remind you of what I shared last time, that when we share the gospel, we are letting our light shine. The whole idea is that as if we have the Spirit upon us, when we speak the words of the gospel in the Spirit, the Spirit of God shines out of us. The Spirit of God flows out of us. And it's describing as letting your light shine. And um, that's what it, that's how, so when you activate the Spirit upon you, that is a release of light as you, as you speak the word of God. It's his Spirit that causes us to shine when we speak his word. For as we speak, the, the power of the Spirit is released with our words. Now this connection between the Spirit, the release of the Spirit and light, was well understood in ancient times. That's why they understood when it says, let your light shine, they understood what it meant. That it was actually um, 
the light of God shining out of you by the Spirit of God. And the reason that they understood that is because the, the source of all light in ancient times was oil. And in particular, they all had oil lamps. They didn't have electricity. And th th so it was understood that a lamp can only shine because of the power of the oil within it and upon it. Oil is a type of the Spirit, and the anointing with oil represents the Spirit upon us. So to shine, we must be anointed with the oil of the Spirit, and then we must ignite that oil by our words. So in an oil lamp, the oil was invisible. It was hidden within the lamp. That's, that is the Holy Spirit within our spirit. But if a wick, which represents our heart, our soul, is soaked in the oil, the oil was also on the outside. That's the Spirit upon. For the wick came out of the mouth of the lamp. However, even then there is no light unless the oil is ignited at the mouth. The spirit, or the oil within us, um, is not us, not us in ourselves. That oil, that spirit within us, contains the power of light. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power is, not of, is of God, not of us. However, we don't have the power. The power is upon us. But we have the power of ignition. We ignite our light by the power of the Spirit, causing him to shine by speaking his words. And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. They already had the oil of the Spirit within them, but now the, the oil of the Spirit also came upon them. And they opened their mouths, and as they opened their mouths to glorify God and speak his words, the fire of God ignited upon them, and they began to shine. And God showed this by actually manifesting the, that spiritual fire over their heads. This fire was a manifestation of the Spirit within and upon them. And God was declaring that they were now primed and ready to be his lights, his witnesses to a dark world. That he had given them his oil within and upon them that they might shine for him as they spoke his words. Although this fire is not normally seen by natural eyes, this is what's happening in the spiritual realm. And it says that there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the oil coming to the surface now. And they, as they began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance, and as they began to speak, so the, the Spirit upon them uh, was ignited and, and tongues of fire appeared upon them. And so when you put verse 3 and verse 4 together, you see the whole experience from the inside and the outside. It says, it describes the same experience from the two viewpoints. How it appears outwardly with the Spirit igniting upon them and the light shining out of them. And secondly, how it was experienced inwardly as the Spirit who is within them also now fills them and comes upon them as they yield their tongues, their bodies, to speak his word, and that ignites the fire, it ignites the light. And so we must embrace his mission to shine the light and surrender our soul for the Holy Spirit to fill us and empower us and yield our tongue to speak his words. And the experience is only complete when you yield your tongue and you begin to speak in tongues as the Spirit gives utterance. Then that then the light is ignited and shines. So when you actually shine the light of Christ, sorry, when you actually pray in tongues, in the Spirit, you're igniting the power of God. As you pray 
And as you praise, you're releasing the power of God. And it also means you are now primed to release the power of God in your witnessing. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you. Praise God. And so we need to receive his mission out of our love for him. We want to embrace the mission of Christ to shine the light in the dark world. And first of all, when we receive Christ, we surrender to him, you know, to him as our Lord and Savior. Then, because we love him, we also embrace his mission. And then we receive, we uh, surrender to him specifically to receive his power to fulfill that mission. And when we do that, we qualify to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. His power comes upon us, and then as we speak his word, his power can be released as light. And so, when this happened on the day of Pentecost, in verse 12, with all these 120 people praying in tongues and praising God supernaturally, the whole crowd were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? And others mocking said, they are full of new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and said, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And so what they were experiencing was the Spirit upon them. And so now he goes to the main prophecy in Joel, which talks about when the Spirit of God will be poured out on all flesh. He predicted this universal outpouring. And he, now he quotes the whole prophecy. And I want to show you today that this whole prophecy was, or it was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. There is a future fulfillment, but this was all fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Then it will come to pass in the last, last days, Peter said. Actually, Joel said it will come to pass afterwards. Uh, after what? We're going to see. Um, and so I'm going to stay with what Joel said uh, although Peter's interpretation is valid, but he's basically saying it will come to pass afterwards, after a big event, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men see visions, old men dream dreams. On my men servants and maidservants I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy which means to speak under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I will show signs and wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Those are the signs on the earth. The signs in the heaven is the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. That's the central event, the, the great and awesome day of the Lord. But he says before the great and awesome day of the Lord, there will be these supernatural signs. And then it says what will happen afterwards, after the great and awesome day of the Lord, will be the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon all flesh. And then it says it will come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so we have a sequence of events predicted here. First, um, there will be signs in the heavens and on the earth, unmistakable signs, and then the great and awesome day of the Lord, and then... Uh, the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon all flesh. And the purpose of the pouring out of the Spirit upon all flesh is to empower God's people to prophesy. That is to speak under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we do when we witness. We are 
trusting the Holy Spirit that as we open our mouth, the Holy Spirit will speak through us and glorify Jesus through us. In fact, Revelation 19, it says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So when you're testifying to Jesus, you're moving in that spirit of prophecy. And, and so we receive the Spirit upon us is to empower us to prophesy, empower us to speak by the Holy Spirit in the power of the Spirit. And the ultimate aim of that is that all people will call on the name of the Lord and be saved. It shall come to pass. This is the ultimate aim, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So God's anointing is coming on all of his people to empower them to witness and to prophesy. And the result of that is, as they witness, people will call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And uh, notice Peter claimed that this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, a lot of people just think, Peter, the only bit that was, that was uh, actually um, fulfilled was that the Spirit would be poured out on all flesh. And they think the rest of the prophecy, you know, wasn't fulfilled then. But that it can't be right, because Peter quoted the whole prophecy. If he was just saying this little bit will be fulfilled, he would have quoted that little bit. But he quoted the whole prophecy, and he claimed that that has been fulfilled. And I want to show you that that was the case, and, and that's why it was so powerful. Because you have a sequence of three things. First of all, great signs, which happened on the day of the cross, two days before the resurrection, which is the great and awesome day of the Lord. And uh, this phrase actually means the great and manifest day of the Lord, or the great day of the Lord's manifestation. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he was seen and he was manifested as risen from the dead. And that was actually the central message of Peter's whole preaching was the resurrection of Christ and how it fulfilled prophecy. And he says that the proof that Christ is risen is not just the empty tomb, but the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. Because Joel predicted that before the great and awesome day of the Lord, there would be signs on the earth and in heaven. And those were fulfilled. And then he said after, afterwards, the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. And because of what happened on the day of the cross. And because of what happened at the resurrection, that means if Joel's prophecy has been fulfilled, that this outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost was not a one-off fluke. It was actually the sign that now the Messiah has come. He's died. He's risen from the dead. And he has brought in a new age of the Spirit when the Holy Spirit is available and poured out on all flesh. And therefore, the people listening and us can also partake and receive the same promise of the Holy Spirit within us and upon us and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Praise God. So what about these signs? Because it, it, um, most people don't realize that all these signs were actually fulfilled. Well, f first of all, of course, if those people who were listening knew very well that those signs had already happened. It talked about the sun turning to darkness. Well, that's exactly hap that's what happened two days before, uh, on the day uh, of the sorry, two days before the resurrection on the day of the cross. You see, during the first three hours on the cross, Jesus was offering himself up as a sweet-smelling uh, offering, burnt offering to God, offering up his righteousness so that we could receive it. During that time, the sun wasn't blotted out. Then at noon, something dramatic happened. It says that at the sixth hour, 
Darkness fell over the whole earth until the ninth hour the sun was darkened. This is the first of Joel's signs. The sun turned to darkness. And that's when Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, during that time, Jesus became our sin offering. He took all our sin on himself. And so he gave us his righteousness, but he took our sin as our sin offering. And God proclaimed that very thing in the heavens by blotting out the sun. You see, the sun is a picture. This sign in the heavens was a picture of what was happening on the earth. The sun, Jesus, is the son of righteousness, and he was being made sin with our sin. He was bearing the blackness of sin on himself. And so the midday sun was made black, representing the fact that the son of God, the son of righteousness, was being covered with our sin. And that was, God was declaring what was happening, you see. So the sun did turn to darkness. But what about the moon? And we know, actually, that it happened in A.D. 33. In fact, Amos 8.9 prophesies that it will come to pass in that day, says the Lord, that I will make the sun to go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in broad daylight. And in fact, the Roman historians actually recorded this event because it was a supernatural thing. Phlegon in his Olympiadi says, In the fourth year of the 202nd Olympiad, there was a great eclipse of the sun, greater than had ever been known before, for at the sixth hour, noon, the day was turned into night and the stars were seen in the heavens. An earthquake occurred in Bithynia and overthrew a great part of the city of Nicaea. And so... This tells us, that, or even gives us the year that it happened, which was 33 AD. So the sun was turned to darkness, but what about the moon to blood? Well, that was a well-known expression for a lunar eclipse. The sun to darkness was supernatural. The moon to blood was a natural sign, but a fairly rare sign. Why is that? Because the shadow of the earth, when it crosses the moon, makes it turn red, makes it turn like blood. And particularly under circumstances, first of all, if the moon's near the horizon, it's more red. Also, if there's a lot of dust in the air, it makes it extra red. Well, there was an earthquake on the day of the cross, so that would have created a lot of dust. And in fact, you, we can do astronomical programs now. And if you do the astronomical calculation, or, or just find the right computer program, you will discover that on the Passover of AD 33, there was indeed a lunar eclipse. The moon turned to blood and it was visible from Jerusalem. And this is how it would have happened. That as Jesus died and he cried out, it is finished, I've done it. And then he was buried. And then as the sun went down on one side of the sky, uh, the, the darkness lifted. And then the sun went down. Just at that very same moment, at the opposite side of the sky, the moon rose above the horizon. And it was blood red. Again, cause, partly because of that earthquake. And that would have been outstanding to the people who watched. Not only was the sun turned to darkness, but the moon was turned to blood. Uh, that combination of signs is the impressive thing. Not just one of them, but the two together. And it only happened on Passover of AD 33, which was April the 1st in our calendar. And that was an impressive sign. And what did that mean? It meant that because Christ had died and he had paid the price with his blood, God showed it in the heavens with the moon turning to blood. You see, if the sun represents Christ, the moon represents his people. Because the moon doesn't have its own light, it reflects the light of the sun. And so the moon represents God's people, and now God is proclaiming in the heavens that God's people are now covered with the blood of Christ. Praise God. Um, because 
the sacrifice has been made. And so you have those two signs. What about the signs on the earth? Well, one sign on the earth was blood. The blood means a significant death. And that, of course, was the blood of Christ. That corresponded to the moon being turned to blood. God was showing that now that blood was now covering God's people. And then it said, um, it talks about fire and um, blood, fire and vapors of smoke. That, of course, is talking about the earthquake. The big earthquake took place throughout the whole Mediterranean region. And if you think about that supernatural darkness, everyone would have had their oil lamps out, shining their lights, and then an earthquake hits. You can imagine the fires that would have broken out everywhere in that earthquake. And so Joel's prophecy was indeed fulfilled completely. And notice what how powerful that would have been. Now, we... The people who Peter preached to would have known that. They didn't need anyone to tell them that these, all these signs happened that Joel talked about. These signs would happen before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Now Peter was preaching to them and saying, Christ is risen from the dead. He has been manifested. The great and awesome day of the Messiah's resurrection has taken place. Uh, and so you've got those two things, the signs in the heavens followed by the great and awesome day of the Lord. And Joel's prophecy then also says, and afterwards, or at the start of these, the new last days that the Messiah will bring in, that new age of the Spirit, he said, afterwards the Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. And so what he was then saying is that that Holy Spirit is now poured out on all of you. You too, if you put your faith in the Messiah, you can also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for yourself. Because this is the fulfillment of the prophecy. This is for you. And so he makes his conclusion in verse 36. He said, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, this Jesus who you crucified. And, and then, um, sorry, and then he says, This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. That's the great and awesome day of the Lord. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you now see and hear. In other words, the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy proves that Jesus is the Messiah. He's risen from the dead and now he's poured out the Holy Spirit as it was promised. And then he says, repent Receive the forgiveness of your sins, be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. In other words, he says the Spirit has been given to all. Joel's prophecy is fulfilled. That means the Spirit's been poured out on all flesh. All you have to do is repent, receive Christ, receive the forgiveness of your sins, and now you, you will receive the Spirit within you and you can receive the gift of the Spirit upon you. And you can be filled with the Holy Spirit just like us. It's, a, it's for you also. I trust this series on the baptism in the Holy Spirit has been exciting to you. And if you want to know more about this, I've preached this uh, in my church. And we have eight CD messages. These are longer messages that uh, almost uh, an hour that I've preached in church. And uh, I believe that this will give you even more uh, insight into the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Eight CDs uh, and that will be a great blessing to you. Thank you for watching. Join with us at Oxford Bible Church every Sunday at 11am Greenwich Mean Time for our live stream service or join us at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, OX3 7QH.
You can watch more of our teachings on our Roku channel and Derek Walker's YouTube channel. All Derek Walker's books are available in printed and Kindle versions in all Amazons worldwide or online with other great products where you can also support our programs at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by calling 01865 515 086.